0: invite you to take your Bibles, and we'll turn to the book of Ephesians again this morning. Ephesians, I'm going to read the first 14 verses this morning. Let's read together, shall we? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, reading down to verse 14. Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, and offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the Son of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, awake sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's again ask for God's help, shall we? Loving Father, we give you thanks again for your word. And Father, we thank you for the truth that through the preaching of the word of God, the preaching of the gospel, you do create the church. You do create believers from unbelievers. And Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray, O God, that the Spirit of God would have freedom again to move in our hearts and take the words of Scripture as they are proclaimed and work them into our hearts and our lives. Father, we pray that you would bring conviction and bring encouragement, bring equipping, O God, in your things as we study the word of God together. Father, we seek your help and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. We must live as we were born again to live. We were born again to be children of God. We were born again to be saints, ones who were called to be holy. We were born again as believers to live as light in a darkened world. And the proof of our being born again is that we live like little Christs in this world. A bride does not continue to date men after she has been married. She once was single, but now she is married. Everything's changed. The fully healed and cured person does not return to the hospital where he got his healing after he has been healed. He doesn't go back seeking further extensive medical attention. He once was sick, but now he has been healed. Everything's changed. The butterfly does not return to the cocoon to crawl back inside. He once was a caterpillar, but now he is a butterfly. Everything has changed. A truly born-again, justified, set-apart-to-God Christian does not continue to live in disobedience to God. He once was a child of wrath, but now he is a child of God. He once was disobedient, but now he is obedient to God. He once was in darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Everything has changed. And Paul is writing this letter and he hits this section of his letter and he's going to get across to the Ephesians that now you are different. Everything has changed from what it once was. There is no mention in the Bible of being covert Christians, Christians undercover. The Bible says nothing positive regarding being a Christian and yet living as an ungodly person in an ungodly world. The two are totally incompatible. The Bible clearly and consistently calls us to live as little Christ. The Bible clearly and plainly calls us to live just like Jesus Christ and not like the unbelieving world. Now, Paul. The apostle struggled with this very thing. He talks about it in Romans chapter 7. He knows our struggle to live Christ-like in an ungodly world. He knows his own struggles as well as ours. He knows that Ephesus is full of idols and temples and sexual promiscuity and greed and lies and theft and idolatry. Ephesus is just like Noble Park in the 21st century. Paul knows that our deeply ingrained habits of living as sons and daughters of disobedience must be broken. There must be new habits formed within us. Paul knows that the way of living life as a born-again person, sons and daughters, requires both instruction and encouragement. And Paul also knows, as Jesus very clearly said himself, that in every church... From the 1st century Ephesus to 21st century Noble Park, there'll be those who have never truly come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. He talked about the wheat and the tares, and Jesus' words were, leave them be. And every church since then has been filled with wheat and tares, those who truly know the Lord and those who just look like it. So Paul writes, under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, with a pastor's heart in love for the believers and also in love for those who do not yet know Christ. He writes to instruct and train born-again readers in how to live, how to live for Christ, how to live as lights in a dark world. He writes also to give us some tests Some way that we can examine ourselves to be sure that we are truly in the faith. Paul also wrote in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, he said, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Not examine each other. We're good at that. He said, No, you test yourself and examine yourself to be sure that you are indeed in the faith, that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. So this morning, as you listen to this message, you can listen to it in one of three different perspectives. If you are convinced that the Spirit of God bears testimony in your heart that you are truly born again, then you can listen for the encouragement of how you are to live, bearing spiritual food from God, for God. Secondly, if you're not sure You're not sure that you're truly born again. You truly know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know there are a number of people who struggle with this. They don't really know for certain whether they really are born again. Then listen this. Listen to hear the message. Listen to take the tests so that you can know for sure where you stand before God. And I'm going to show you from the Scriptures how it is you can know for sure and how you can begin to walk with God if you have not so far. Thirdly, there may be some here that know absolutely for sure I'm not a Christian. I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I'm here and I want to find out what it means to become a Christian and to live as a born-again Christian. Then listen carefully and we'll explain it to you. We preach the gospel that God himself might make believers out of unbelievers. He might make Christians out of unbelievers out of ungodly, wicked people. He did it in our lives, and He's here doing it this morning in your life, we pray. So I want to answer three questions from the text. we got a little note sheet there. There's some blanks. If you want to fill in the blanks as we go down, uh, don't be frightened by the numbering there. And I can see that some of the numbering went very much awry. Some of you will have sheets that have the numbers 17 to 27. There's not 27 points, I assure you. Uh, it's just my computer obviously did a number on me yet again. Never mind. Three questions I want to answer. Number one, what does Paul say that we are apart from Christ? What's he say about us who don't know Christ from this text? Secondly, what does Paul say that we are having been born again? What's our new position in Christ? And we're going to see that from the text. And thirdly, how are we to live once we have been born again? Once we've made that step of faith and begun to walk with Jesus, how are we supposed to live? Too many of us, I think, come into this idea of Christianity that you can trust in Jesus Christ and live any way you like because the sure thing is you're going to heaven. And we say, well, eternal security, I can never lose my salvation, so I can live any which way I please. The Bible does not say that. No, you cannot lose your salvation once you are surely saved. But the Bible never says you can live any way you like once you have come to know Christ. And we'll see that from the text. So first of all, what does Paul say that we are apart from Christ? In 2 and verses 1 to 3, we looked at this a couple of months ago. Apart from Christ, we're dead in sins and trespassers. We were living in agreement with the prince of the power of the air. We were living in... In agreement with the sons of disobedience, which means those who are living in active disobedience to God. We were, apart from Christ, children of wrath. And that's a simple phrase that means that we're left to our own course, left to our own actions. We would come under the wrath of Almighty God. In 2 and verse 12, apart from Christ, we are separated, completely cut off from God. In 2 and verse 12, also, apart from Christ, we have no hope whatsoever. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no true hope. Look at the world around us. They spend so much of their time and effort and money just trying to self-medicate to take as much drug, whether it's money or possessions or little drugs or alcohol, to try and numb the pain that there is no true, lasting hope. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. In 2 verse 19, apart from Christ, we're strangers and aliens to God's household and God's people. And in 5 verses 3 to 5, we can see right in our text, apart from Christ, we are ungodly in behavior and speech. He says there about those who are immoral and impure and greedy, those who have filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting. They're all ungodly behavior, and speech. Apart from Christ, that's what we're like. Look at it more. Apart from Christ, some are sexually immoral. It means illegitimate sexual intercourse, including fornication and adultery and engaging in prostitution. You say, oh, I've never done that. Okay. Apart from Christ, secondly, some are impure. It means living in totally unrestrained sexual practice. Things too disgusting to even mention from a pulpit. You say, oh, I've never done that. Okay, two out of three. Third one, he says, we are all greedy and covetous. And all of a sudden we have to stop. Because we've all been covetous at one point or another in our lives. I think I've told you the story before about the little girl walking through the shopping center. And her mom's in front in the, in the buggy, and the little girl stomping along behind her. But I want it, was the little girl's screaming complaint at the top of her lungs. And everybody in the whole store, a place ten times inside this building, they all knew for sure that that little girl wanted that. And what greed and covetousness is, it says, I want for me. It's absolutely self-centered and self-driven. And every one of us has to stop and go, yeah, I've certainly been there. Apart from Christ, we are all exercising, exercising greed and covetousness. We're all engaged and looking to get something for ourselves. Apart from Christ, we all, with an unrelenting, unrelenting drive, want to get for ourselves. We have three most important persons in our lives apart from Christ, and they are these. Me, myself, and I, right? It's true, isn't it? Everything revolves around me. Everything has to do with me. It's all about me. In every situation, every case, it's all about what affects me and how it results in me and how it hurts me or doesn't hurt me, how it builds me up or pushes me down. The world we live in is absolutely driven by that self-centered, self-focused mode. And Paul says, that's what we were like. Apart from Christ, we all live with that unrelenting drive. And you may say, well, that's not so bad. That's only one out of three. The Bible says very clearly that if we're guilty of one sin, then we're guilty of all sins. And Paul goes on in 6 and 5 and verse 5. Number 6, apart from Christ, we will not inherit God's kingdom. The kingdom of God that he is in building excludes those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. In context... Before and after, those who live in sexual immorality, impurity, and greed have no part or place within God's kingdom. Then in 5 and verse 6, he says, Apart from Christ, we're sons of disobedience facing the wrath of God. The phrase simply means those who are still living in ongoing disobedience to God. And here's a very important point to sort of stick your head on and, and think about well and true. Are you living in ongoing disobedience to God? Something to consider before God and ask yourself and ask the Lord to show you. Are you still living in ongoing disobedience to God? Do you know what God has called you to do? Are you refusing to do it or are you obeying? Number eight, then five and verse eight, apart from Christ, we are darkness. We are not only in the dark, we are darkness itself. It means we're under the rule of darkness. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 that we were in the domain of darkness. But Christ has saved us and brought us out of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. It means we're darkened in our understanding. It means like in Ephesians 2 verse 2, we live in agreement with the prince of the power of the air. It means what six Ephesians 6 and verse 12 says, that we live in agreement with, With the spiritual forces of darkness. There's so much more I could say about what we are apart from Christ, but just knowing what we are apart from Christ doesn't really help us too much. We want to know what the cause is. What's the problem? What is it that separates us from Jesus Christ? And the cause is sin. It's a tragedy. That we in our modern, sophisticated world no longer want to hear or think about the issue and the topic of sin. We see increasingly churches pushing aside. We don't want to hear about sin here. We just want to be all happy and good, pleasant thoughts and, and pump you up and send you back into your world for the week. But the reality is... If we don't deal with the real problem, we'll never ever sort it out. We'll just constantly go on self-medicating with one form of therapy or treatment or another and we'll never get to the core of the issue. You cannot solve the problem unless you get to the core of it. I had a, uh, years ago, I was working in Canada and um, working with some cedar and I was doing this uh, siding work or you call it cladding them boarding or something on the outside of a building. And the cedar has got natural oils and tannins in it, like toxic little acids. And when you handle cedar, you can got kind of to get this stuff on your hands, and it's, it's a little bit irritating at times. And one day, I was working, and I got a sliver, and it went right down the inside of my thumb on that little thick part beside your nail there. And it just stuck there. And I tried to pull it off, and it did the worst thing possible. It snapped off below the surface, about a couple millimeters down. And I walked around for a couple of days, and my thumb went from normal size to considerably larger than it's supposed to be as this thing got infectious and swollen and got bigger and it was ugly and red and painful. And I won't give you any more detailed descriptions. But finally, I, I just got so sick of it, I just gripped my teeth and squeezed, and this little tiny piece of cedar shot out of my thumb and all the infection with it. I tried all kinds of things to deal with that. I could have, you know, maybe painted my finger a bit to maybe make the color look right. I could have put ice on it. I could have put all kinds of stuff. I could have dealt with that problem or all the symptoms of the problem. It hurt, so I popped some painkillers. But what I didn't deal with was getting the problem out and dealing with what was actually causing all that pain and trouble. And if we don't deal with the issue of sin, brothers and sisters in Christ, we will not grow as believers. We'll go on, some of us, self deceive into thinking we're really saved and we're really Christians when in fact we're not. And revival won't come. To this church or in our own individual lives If we don't address and deal with the issue of sin So I'm going to talk about it Because it's incredibly important Sin is disobedience to God In thought and word and action When I was a kid we went I played in a band yeah, me and a band, eh? imagine that. And I played trombone of all things and we went on a music tour. i never forget my, my band teacher who happened to be a Christian and I know why he said this, but it was so wrong. He stood up and he said, now listen guys, we're going into this little town and we're going to play a band concert and you're going to go and stay with people in this little town. And he said, I want you to be very careful what you say. Don't say something that's going to offend them. Don't make comments about their little town. Don't make comments about their food or comments about... Just be careful. And he said, you can think what you want, just don't say it. And in reality, that's completely wrong. Because sin is not just what we say. Sin is not just what we do. Sin is what we think also. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says this, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And then he goes on, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind. Sin includes what you think. In fact, it starts with what you think and it goes out to what you say and it goes out beyond that to what you do. It's disobedience to God in thought and in word and in action. It's disobeying God. Sin is also a failure to meet the mark. God is absolutely holy. A brother was reading a passage this morning in our prayer time at 9.30 in a little back room there and reflecting in his prayer on the holiness of God. God is absolutely holy, and he set a standard in place for all of his creation. He said, you must live up to my holiness, and sin is a failure to meet the mark. It's a failure to meet the standard. I think I told you before about the little guys going to the, the rides at the amusement park. You must be this tall to ride this ride. The little guys are all standing on their tippy-toes trying to get themselves as tall as they possibly can, pulling their hair up, trying to make sure they're just high enough to get on the ride. And they don't make it. And they can't go on the ride by themselves. They failed to meet the mark. You get the exam paper back. And you thought you did so well. Theology, right? Got it back and and I thought I did brilliantly. I thought I was the next John Calvin or something. And I got back and it said, you know, 60.5%. You know, it's like 60 is a pass, right? So you're really just skimming over the line. I failed to meet the mark. And every time we sin against God, every time we disobey Him and our life does not live up to His standard of holiness, we failed to meet the mark. Sin is also a crossing of the boundary. It's going over the lines. It's doing what God says thou shalt not do. It's failing to do what God says thou shalt do. And that's the problem. And the reality is that we are separated. We are cut off from God because of those three reasons. We've disobeyed him. We've failed to meet the mark. We've crossed the line. We're living in active rebellion against God. And God's wrath is coming against those who are disobedient to God. He says it right there in verse number 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Listen. Doesn't matter how long you've been in this church. Doesn't matter if you've been baptized or not. It doesn't, but not in this context. If you are living in unrepentant, ungrieving sin before God, you are not yet reconciled to God. That's a sobering thought. Hey Nelson, where's the nice, feel-good, happy message for Sunday morning to prop us up and send us on our way? We're getting there. But first, we've got to deal with this. If you are not living, repentant, and trusting in God every step of the way, if you sin and you don't care, not even a little bit, you are not reconciled to God. It doesn't matter if your parents came to this church for 20 years and you're here now it matters nothing it doesn't matter whether you've been baptized or not what matters in this context is are you living pleasing to God are you living in obedience to his word are you living in obedience to what God calls you to do If you do not love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty hard thing to say. So what am I saying? That nobody will ever inherit the kingdom of God? Outside of Christ, nobody will ever inherit the kingdom of God. There is no hope for that reason. But listen. Listen, if I just described you in some form or another, do not despair. Why are you here today? You say, I come here every Sunday. I came here with a friend. Someone brought me. Why are you here? Let me put aside all the small reasons why you're here and tell you the one main big reason why you're here. God brought you here. God wanted you to come into this room and sit here and listen to a message that he laid on my heart last night so you'd know the truth of the gospel so that you could believe and trust and find true forgiveness and true peace with God. God brought you here. There is a message of great hope. The Bible message of the gospel is called the gospel because it means it is good news. Because the message about sin is terribly bad news. But the reality is, just as bad as the bad news is, the good news is infinitely better and infinitely greater. We have all sinned against God. We are all in the same situation before God. We have all offended God, God's holy character. We have all alienated ourselves from him and we have all exposed ourselves to his righteous anger by the things that we have done or failed to do to meet his standards, to obey his word. But God has sent Jesus Christ to die the death that we deserve. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is the only way to be reconciled, to be restored to a relationship with the living God, the one true God. And we must all respond to this good news. You see, how? How do I respond to news like that? Two T's. Number one, you turn completely away from your sin and you trust completely in God. Turn away from sin and trust in God. It means you turn your back on sexual immorality. You stop living in it, if you are. Turn your back on impurity and have no more to do with it. You turn your back on greed and covetousness. You turn your back on lying and slander and gossip. You turn your back on drunkenness, adultery and fornication. And you believe the gospel You come to Christ and say, You're the only hope for me. And you reach out to Christ and you hang on to Him with a grip of death, trusting in Him. Ask God to forgive you and trust Him to keep His promise. God promises if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Cry out to God to be forgiven and trust Him to keep His word. Listen, if you're listening to me, And you feel in your heart that pull that says, I want that. That is the Spirit of God reaching down and grabbing a hold of you and He's drawing you towards Himself. My plea to you is don't fight. Turn around and reach out to God. Reach out to Him in faith and repentance. Cry out to Him to be forgiven of sin. He'll forgive you. Bible promises it to you. Do you trust God? Do you? Have you believed? Have you turned your back on sin? Because if you do, then everything for you has changed. It's all brand new. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has gone. Everything has been made new. And now you have a new relationship with God. No longer are you a son of disobedience. No longer under under the wrath of God. You are now a child of God. And he welcomes you into his family and his arms and calls you his dear child. And we can cry out to him, Father, everything has changed. So what does Paul say about us having been born again, having asked God for forgiveness for our sins and having begun to turn our back on sin and having begun to trust God to keep His promises? We are now radically different. We have been born again. Born from above, the Bible says. We have been born again to a new and a living hope. My hope isn't in this world. Because this world's hope is just fleeting and and totally insecure. Our hope is in God. Our hope is one day that Christ will come again. And we will see Him as He is. And we'll know Him as He is. And He will welcome us into His kingdom. We have been born again to a new and a living hope. That's why the gospel is such great news. It's also why we must talk about sin so boldly. Because as bad as the bad news is, the good news of God's grace is so much better. Notice, 2 and verse 4, this is what we are. It says that God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. In 2 and verse 10... If you've been born again, guess what? We are, you are God's workmanship. That means the idea there is His master craftsmanship. Like a highly skilled tradesman who plies his trade and makes an article of absolute perfection. That's what you are if you have been born again. In 2 and verse 13, having been born again, God has brought us near by the blood of Christ. In 2 and verse 16, God has reconciled us to Himself into one body through the cross of Christ. As believers in Jesus Christ, in the body of Christ, in this little local church, we have a connection with each other that the world cannot understand. Because it's a connection in the blood of Christ. I said it before, I say it again, they say blood is thicker than water. But guess what? Christ's blood is the blood that we share in common. If we know Jesus Christ. God has reconciled us to Himself in verse 19 of chapter 2. God has made us fellow citizens with the saints and household of God. And there's so many more descriptions in chapter 3 and 4, but I want to fast forward to our passage. In 5 and verse 1, God has made us His beloved children. You're adopted into the family of the king. In verse 3, God has made us saints. That simply means that we're called to be holy to God. That simply means we've been set apart to God. In Ephesians 1 verse 4, God chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy. Sometimes we love to camp on that predestination idea that God chose us before the foundation of the world to be saved. That's a true statement. But he also chose us to be holy. And the life that we live and the way that we live as Christians in this world is critically important. He chose us to be holy. He says there that not fitting for saints in verse number 3 there, or 4 there. In verse 5, by implication, we can see that God has made us co-heirs of Christ in the kingdom. So we're sharing in God's kingdom. In verse 8, having been born again, we are now light in the Lord. What that means is we are light by our identification with Christ. Because we are in Christ and he is the light of the world, then we being in him are also light in the world. Having been forgiven, we're sealed and filled with the Holy Spirit. He is in us and we are in Him. We are light living in a darkened world. We are light. We've been enlightened to the truth of the gospel. We understand now what God's message is and God's plan is. He talks about in Ephesians 1 about how God has made known to us the mystery of His will. Right? He's enlightened us to the truth. We are light. We're to shine the gospel into the world by our behavior and by our speech. Let's just put this aside for a second. Christian, give thanks to God for what He has made you in Christ. Give thanks to God that once you were dead in sin, now you're alive in Christ. Give thanks to God and rejoice that once you were destined for the full fury of God's wrath, you were a prisoner on death row and it was coming closer and closer. But now, instead of being there, we are inheritors of the kingdom of God. And the death that we all go through, the physical death, is just a doorway for us into God's presence. Everything's changed. Once we were sons of disobedience, but now we're children of God. Christian, give thanks. Rejoice with a great joy because God is your salvation, your strength, and your song, and your unfading joy. What an amazing Savior we have. You know why it's so important for Christians to stop and think about the sin issue and stop and think about what we once were apart from Christ? Because when you do and start meditating on those truths and think them through, all of a sudden you realize just how great your salvation is. You say, I was saved as a little kid. I don't really know much about what it was to live the sinful life. When you stop and realize what your destiny was, your future was outside of Christ and think about what God has done in saving you and what your future is now, it ought to make us well up with joy and thanksgiving for God, for what He has done. What an amazing Savior we have. Amen? That brings us to the third point. How are we to live as God's children, saints and light? We've seen what we are apart from Christ. We've seen how it is that we come to be born again, to be reconciled to Christ. And really all of that was just introduction to the main message of the text. Paul is writing, like I said earlier, in order to teach us and train us as to how we are to live as lights in a dark world. The passage contains a few statements about what we are, but it contains far more command statements about what we are to do now that we've been born again. Okay, so Paul's writing these Ephesians and saying, You've come out of that world. Once you were those things, but now you're children of God. How are you to live? It's not the same way. It's like I said earlier, I try to emphasize as quick as well as I could. We have begun to trust God, we have begun to turn away from sin. When do those things end? They never do. The whole of our Christian life is a constant turning towards Christ and turning away from sin. And when you first come to know Christ, you think, oh, I give up all these things. And you put away all these sinful habits and you turn around towards Christ. And all of a sudden, the more you go and the longer you live this life of faith and the more you spend time in God's Word, all of a sudden, the sins in your life, that seems like they're growing, not getting less. And all it is is God's opening your eyes wider and wider to see just how much more sin there's left to be dealt with. And the more you see, the more you turn away. And then the more you look at the Word of God, the more you see, oh, turn away a bit more. And you just keep doing your whole life. See, this Christian life we're being called to is not a momentary thing. It's a life of faith. It's a life of repentance. You see, it must get awful grievous. You just keep finding new things to put off. No, because just as you find those things to put off, and you repent of those sins and turn away from them, you know a little more about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that relationship between you and Him gets closer and closer and deeper and deeper the more you walk with Christ. I told you before, in, in the old Brethren Church I used to go to for years, we had like an open worship service, about an hour, an hour and a half long. And it was just... People would share thoughts and scriptures and pray randomly, and then they would have some singing, and then we'd have the communion like we do here. But as we did that, there'd be lots of times of silence. And every once in a while, I'd look over at some of these old guys sitting there, and they'd known and walk with the Lord for years, and you'd see them with tears just running down their faces. My father-in-law was one. God bless him. He always it never seemed to fail. Every Sunday morning, he'd be there, and a tear would be running down his face. Or old Grandpa Biggs. Or old John Allen would be sitting there and he'd just be wiping the tears away as he was sitting worshiping the Lord. You know why? Because the more he had walked with the Lord, the more they knew Christ. The more they realized their sin, but the more they realized what they had been saved from and saved to. This life, this Christian life, is not a momentary thing. It's a life lived for Christ. It's a life lived walking the way God calls us to walk. Paul gives us all these commands in the text. There are positive commands, things we must do, and there are negative commands, things that we must not do. But before we look at them, just notice, down a couple of verses where I finished reading, in verse number 18, it says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Why am I bringing that up? Because the beautiful thing is, God does not call us to live this Christian life in our own strength and our own abilities. If that was the case... I'd have failed and given up years ago. Probably five minutes after I first come to know the Lord. But He fills us with His Spirit. I, hate, I don't like this illustration because it's got some flaws to it. But I'll use it anyway because it does make this point. It's like putting on a glove. Right? The glove is Us. And the hand inside the glove is the Holy Spirit. And you put that glove on, and all of a sudden that glove can do all kinds of things. The glove can pick up stuff and, and hold heavy objects and, and hold a hammer or whatever else that glove is supposed to be doing, working in the garden. You see, what amazing work that glove is doing. That glove is building the house. And you realize, no, don't be silly. It's not the glove building the house. It's the hand inside of it. And that's this Christian life that we live. God fills us with his Holy Spirit. So when we see these commands, and he makes them in very strong language in the Greek, he says, do these things. He puts his Spirit within us to fill us, to empower us, and enable us to live this life for Christ. In verse 1, we must become imitators of God and forgiving others. In verse 2, we must love as Christ loved to the point of dying for each other. You want to talk about a hard thing to do? There's a hard thing to do. Because it goes against every natural inclination inside of us. But Jesus, as we were talking about on Wednesday night, Jesus died on a cross entrusting himself into the Father's hand that he might rescue us and redeem us. He did it out of love for us, as Paul tells us in this passage. And Paul says, I'm not just giving you this point so you recognize and love the Lord Jesus. I'm giving you this so you'll love like Christ loved. You'll live like God lived. Not live that way, sorry. Forgive what God forgives. In verse 3, we must not be named as immoral, impure, and greedy. In verse 4, we must not be named as using filthy, silly talk, and coarse language and jesting. We look at those a couple of weeks ago. Then in verse 6, we must not be deceived with empty words. Now, what does he mean by that? Here's the lie of the devil. I heard it for years, and I bought into it for a number of them. You don't have to worry about all these to-do things. You believe in Jesus, you're going to heaven. You can live any way you like. And I ran into Christians that did that. I thought, well, you know, if they're doing it, and they're, you know, they they seem to be doing okay in their Christian walk, and they go to church on Sunday. Some of them are great preachers. They have you know, these great exemplary Christian lives on Sunday morning, and then they go to the job site on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the language went sideways, and the content of the conversation went down into the sewer, and they were living all kinds of sinful lives outside, and they were living a double standard, one life on Sunday when everybody at church could see them, and one life on Monday to Friday when everybody else could see them. And as long as the two worlds never collided and crossed lines, which invariably they will do, because God... Is gracious And he does it for a purpose. And the subtle little lie, he says, don't be deceived with empty words. Don't be deceived into thinking you can live any way you like and still be saved. Because that's not the truth. The truth is we are called to follow Jesus Christ. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What's does that mean? That means I die to myself every single day. I put aside what I want to do and I live for what God would have me to do. I live and strive to be obedient to Him in every single way. In verse 7, he says, We must not be partakers with them. What Paul means by that is that we must not partake in the ungodly, unholy practices of those unbelievers. God has saved us and brought us out of the domain of darkness. And God has saved us and brought us into his kingdom. In verse 8, we must live and walk as children of light. Now, light produces a certain fruit. Brightness, right? You, don't you hate? It? Don't you love it? First thing in the morning, you go into the bathroom and you flip the light on, and it's like the light is about a thousand times brighter than it was any other time that you go in there. And it's just so you know you can't see, and your eyes are not adjusted, and you kind of stumble around, and, and it's awful. And the light drives the darkness away, and there's a brightness and an intensity of that light. Paul is saying, "Listen, you have you are now light in the Lord, meaning that in Christ." As he is the light of the world, now you in him are also light in the world. And you're to live producing the fruit of that lightness, that spiritual lightness. He gives us what those fruits are. Verse 9, let's read together. Uh, Let's read verses 8 and 9. He says, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light... Now, I have the word consists, you might have the word found in there, in all goodness and righteousness and truth. There's no actual verb there. It just basically says that the fruit of the light is goodness and righteousness and truth. Those three things are what we are to produce if indeed we are walking with God, if indeed we are born again and living for God in the world. Number one, goodness. It just means goodness towards our fellow man, where once we were selfish... Where once everything we did was for us to get our achievement, our gain, our place, our importance. Now we live for others. That God might display his grace and goodness to others through us. Light produces righteousness. Spiritual light produces righteousness. It means upright behavior. Behavior in keeping with God's word, where we once were selfish and immoral and greedy and impure, now our concern is to live in an upright manner, to live in a manner that's fitting with what God called us to be, to live in obedience to His word. Finally, light produces truth. Thirdly, in this it means an honest behavior. All of a sudden, the shields come down. You know, brothers and sisters, this this little aside here. I don't mean this church in particular. I mean churches in general. When I say this, it is a tragedy to me that when we come into church, we put up shields, we put on a mask. This ought to be the place when we come and we can be absolutely honest and say. And someone says, "How are you doing?" Instead of hitting the playback button and doing the same old answer, oh, fine, just fine. How much different would our churches be if someone says, how are you doing? You know, I'm struggling, but I'm here. Would you pray with for me? Pray with me. If all of a sudden the honesty was absolutely there, you say that would take a lot of trust. And I know I meet people all the time who used to go to church and I asked them as a pastor, so what happened? And they say, you know, I got burned. So, what do you mean you got burned? Well, I went to a church for a while and something went wrong. And before I know it, everybody in the church is talking about it and talking about it behind my back and gossiping. And, and I just felt so awful and it was so toxic that I walked out and I never went back. That's a tragedy. And it's a a judgment on the church we live in and the day we live in. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be the family of God. It is the family of God. You say, you ever been in a family? Man, every family is dysfunctional. It's true. Every family is dysfunctional. But this is a different family. This is a family where sin has been dealt with. This is a family where God is the Father. This is a family where the rules the the code of conduct if you like is the word of the living god and paul says listen as children of light you're to be in truth producing truth you're honest you speak the truth from your heart And when people ask you how you're doing, you're willing to be honest and vulnerable and say, you know, I'm struggling in my faith. Would you please pray for me? Because the role of the church is to get around each other, to link arms and wrap arms around one another and pray for one another and plead with God not to tear each other down, but to build each other up and strengthen one another to live and walk in this life, to keep going. The beautiful thing about the the Christian life is when one of us is struggling and failing and the strength is weak, we come alongside, we put our arms underneath his shoulder armpits and we lift him up a little bit and we walk with him so he can walk and, and take the load off of him and share that load. What does Paul say? Bear one another's burdens. Part of that truth he's talking about is a willingness to be open and honest with each other and admit when we're struggling and cry out to each other for help in prayer. There's something seriously wrong when people say, how can I pray for you? Well, just pray that God will meet my unspoken prayer, prayer, prayer request. It means I don't want to tell you because I'm ashamed. I don't want to tell you because I'm afraid that you will use what I'm going to tell you against me. That's a tragedy. Paul says, as children of light, the fruit of the light, the product, the evidence of that light in you is truth. It's more than just what I said, but it's that too. It's knowing the truth. It's living the truth. It's bearing witness to the truth everywhere we go. Notice also in verse 9, it's simultaneously, sorry, simultaneous to producing goodness and righteousness and truth. We are trying to learn what pleases the Lord. Verse 10, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's our desire. Those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are truly born again, here's one test you can ask yourself. Simply, do I have inside of my heart a craving, a desire to do what pleases God? Like a little child that, that just runs to his daddy and he's done a drawing. And the drawing is something that's it's abstract art at its best because there's no way that dad can identify what that drawing's supposed to be. And the little boy's like, Daddy, do you see my drawing? And, you, and the dad's like, oh, son, it's the most incredible thing. There's not another one like this anywhere in the world, son. And the little boy, with all of his ability that he had that's so crude at a young age, he tries to draw a picture to please his daddy. And he draws a house, and, and mummy is sort of this misshapen lump, and daddy's another misshapen lump, and the hair's all funny, and the trees look weird. But you know what? His desire in drawing that is to please his daddy. And we as Christians will never produce much more by comparison. The best of our works are going to be pretty failing in God's eyes. But you know what? When we have that desire to please the Lord, He takes it and He accepts it and He uses it for His glory. And as those who have been born again, deep within our hearts, there must be that desire a want to please my Savior. I want to live to please him. Brother and sister in Christ, is that deep in your heart? Christian, the call is to live as what we have become children of God. We're to live as God's children, not the sons of disobedience. We're to live as light in the world, in a darkened world. The proof of whether we're or not we're truly born again is seen by whether or not we strive to live like Christ. Do you have that deep desire? The proof of whether or not you're truly born again is do you bear spiritual fruit? That's what he's talking about. It's not whether or not you've been baptized or whether you go to church or whether you tithe or all those other good things. It's do you spare spiritual fruit for God? Does your life produce the fruit of goodness towards others? You know, it's time to stop messing around. It's time for us as individual believers before God to step in front of the mirror of God's Word. And if you'll pardon the reference, but mirror, mirror on the wall, show me, show me what's really in my heart and open the Word of God and begin to read and pray and plead with God that He would open and let you see what truly is your state before Him. Because unless we confront it and deal with it, we'll go on blinded, thinking we're okay and maybe we're not. Maybe you are. I don't mean to imply that we're all not saved. I'm trying to say, let's be sure. Examine yourself, test yourself to see whether you are truly in the faith. Does your life produce the fruit of goodness? Does your life produce the fruit of righteousness, upright, godly living by faith before God? Do you imitate God by forgiving others as God forgave you? That's a tough one. Do you imitate Christ by loving as He loved you and died for you? Do you walk in love as children of light? Jesus said in John 15 verse 8, Listen, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You get what he's saying? We're not saved by bearing the fruit But the evidence, the undeniable, unshakable evidence that we are truly saved is the fruit that we bear. The fruit of goodness, the fruit of righteousness, and the fruit of truth. And the desire to please the Lord. He also said in Matthew 7, listen to this. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Listen, this is very, he's very particular. He says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Brother and sister. You've got to stop and you've got to ask yourself that hard question. Am I bearing fruit for God? And if you are, praise God. Give thanks to Him that He's bringing forth that fruit in your life. And go on and bear more. Keep struggling on. Keep striving ahead in the power of the Holy Spirit to bear more fruit for God. We began this morning by thinking of three ways to listen to this message. So I want to wrap it up with those three ways. For those of us who know we are born again, my hope is that this message will cause us to rejoice greatly in what God has done for us in Christ. And My hope, my hope and my prayer is that we'll be inspired and spurred on to go and live and produce more fruit for God's glory, to be pleasing to God in everything we do. For those who are not sure whether or not you're truly born again, My hope and my prayer is this, that the tests in this passage will confirm to you where you truly stand before God. If you found that you're not bearing spiritual fruit, not living in obedience, then listen to the gospel. Cry out to God for forgiveness. Cry out to God for His saving grace. Plead with God to show you what must be confessed, that you will know His forgiveness. Trust me. I've been there and I've pleaded with God and He's shown me something that needs to be set right in my life. Sought forgiveness and gone on to produce fruit for God. Thirdly, for those of you who have come here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, listen to the gospel message. Jesus Christ died on a cross for you to pay the penalty for your sin. That you might be set free and reconciled to God. I have to tell you that God's wrath abides on you, but He will forgive you. Ask God to forgive you for your sin. Ask God to wash your conscience completely clean. I can tell you, on the authority of the word of God on my own experience, He will do it. You will know the immense peace of God in your heart and you will strive, then strive to live to please the Lord. So my question to you as we close, I'm going to pray in a moment. Will you come to Christ? Will you confess your sin to God and seek for His forgiveness? Will you turn your back on sin, leave it behind, and come to Christ and trust the Lord for His forgiveness? forgiveness. He promises it to you. What will you do? Would you stand with me? And we're going to pray and then we'll sing the benediction. Loving Father, we give you thanks this morning again for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, when we stop and we consider the infinite holiness of the living God, absolutely separated from us. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high is He, is you above us. Father, we give you thanks that even though we were sons of disobedience, even though we were separated and cut off from you, even though we had walked away from you, stubbornly doing our own will, refusing to submit to your will, that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to suffer on a cross and pay the penalty for our sin, that we might be forgiven. Father, I thank you this morning that in righteousness... The Lord Jesus Christ suffered for my sin. He met every righteous demand of the law for me. For those of us who trust in you. Father, I pray, I plead with you this morning that you would do a great work in every person's life in this room. Father, all of us. Father, impress deeply upon our hearts the greatness of our salvation. Father, impress deeply on us what we were but what we have become in Christ. Father, for the one that's here this morning struggling, not sure where they really stand before you, Father, I plead with you that by the power of the Holy Spirit you would get a hold of them. Draw them close to the Lord Jesus. Father, if they have never trusted in you, then give them the faith to believe. Father, open their eyes. Let them see. Father, draw them close that they might respond in faith and repentance to the message of the gospel. And Father, for those who have not yet, have never come to Christ. Father, maybe they have questions. Father, I plead with you that you would work in their hearts, that they would seek the answers from Scripture, from friends, to go looking. Father, because you promised that if we seek you, we will find you. Father, I plead with you that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts and draw them close, that they would trust you and know what it means to have true peace and joy in the very depths of their soul. Father, for all these things, we plead with you in Jesus' name. Amen.